Congregation, the text for the sermon this morning is the verse 20b to 22. Verse 20, beginning at the word when. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So far the, the text for the sermon. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, a while ago Hollywood put out a movie about Noah. From, from watching the trailer and hearing about it, this is a, a dark movie, one that isn't fully faithful to what the Bible says. However, I have to say that it would probably set people to thinking about God. In the trailer, at least, you see the, the floods coming and people trying to get in the ark as the floods rise, but the ark is closed off, shut. God shuts the ark. And all the people on earth except those in the ark drowned. A dark and terrible chapter in world history, congregation. Many tribes and nations in the world have flood stories passed down through the generations. I, I understand that even the Eskimos in our north and the people in Papua, uh, way down in the south, have flood legends like this. But God tells it the way it happened in the Bible, which we believe tells us the truth. And when you think about it, the Bible actually tells us very little of what actually took place on earth over the first few thousand years before the flood. If you compare what's written in the first six, chap six chapters of the Bible about that time period with what's written about the 90 or so years after Christ's birth in the New Testament, then what we know about the beginning is very, very little, actually. God is selective in what he tells us in Scripture. We're only told what we need to know for our salvation and for, for life. So what we're told about the flood in the Bible is quite sober. Those who made the movie about Noah, therefore, I imagine, had to fantasize quite a bit. And apparently they emphasized God's wrath in the movie. It's a dark, dark movie. The Bible, however, shows God's wrath is because of the terrible wickedness of mankind. The earth was corrupt at the time, filled with violence. It says that over and over in Genesis 6. It must have been a terrible time of unbridled wickedness. It doesn't say a lot more than that it was uh, corrupt and violent. But the point is to show that God's anger, God's wrath is righteous here. Righteous anger. 
The emphasis in the history of the flood in the Bible, though, is that even, even though the earth was filled with wickedness, God is still a God of wonderful salvation. Even though he has to punish the people who lived on earth at the time in a, in a terrible way, he is also a God who saves. That's the emphasis in what the Bible says about the flood. God saves Noah and his family, eight souls, and makes a new beginning on earth. A huge rescue operation, we could say. And that brings us to the text this morning in 1 Peter 3. Peter mentions that ancient rescue operation of ancient time, and he, he compares it with an even greater rescue operation God's salvation of sinners through Jesus Christ. God's salvation of us from the judgment that is to come in Christ. And that brings us to our theme. By means of water, God shows that he is a saving God. And we see three things then. The water of baptism shows God wants to save you. Secondly, the water of baptism brings to prayer for cleansing. And thirdly, the water of baptism means Christ's power helps you, is available to you. So first of all, the, the water of baptism shows God wants to save you. Water is one of the four basic elements on earth necessary for life, but water can also, as you know, take life. It covers two-thirds of the planet, so there's an amazing amount of water above, on, and inside the earth. In Genesis 7, we're told that all the fountains of the great deep and the windows of heaven were opened. Genesis 1, verse 2, we're told that the whole earth was once covered with water. On the second day of creation, the Bible tells us God separated the waters under the firmament, from the waters above the firmament, the atmosphere, in other words. And on the third day of creation, God separated the water and the land. The land was lifted up and became dry land, and, and the waters became seas and oceans. Well, with the flood in Noah's time, God reversed all that he had done at creation. He reversed that. The water above the earth came down in buckets. The windows of heaven were opened, to use the ancient terms. And the water in the earth spouted up like in fountains. And then there was no more separation between the waters and the land on the earth. After 40 days, there was water above the highest mountain. And the water remained that high for 150 days before it even started to go away. Every creature that lived on dry land died. Only the souls in the ark survived. And see, from the, the trailer and reviews of the, the movie, I gather that the movie, Noah, focuses quite a bit on the many people outside the ark who drowned. But the Bible focuses the attention on the eight people whose lives were spared. And on the other creatures in the ark who survived. 
See, if you take the story of the flood out of the context of the whole Bible and make a movie about it, you're not going to convey the right message. But if you read it as part of the Bible, as part of the whole Bible, you'd be amazed at God's mercy. It says in Genesis 6 that the earth was corrupt, filled with violence because of the wickedness of man, which was so great. I once visited a snake pit in Africa full of large snakes crawling all over one another. Would you be willing to jump into a pit full of snakes like that in order to look for one which wasn't dangerous, one or two, whose bites are not filled with poison? I don't think so, but God did that when the whole earth was filled with wicked, violent people who despised him. He looked among them all for one at least who still wanted to worship and serve him. So you see there's emphasis in Genesis 6 and 7 that there was just that one man too then who walked with God, Noah, and he found mercy in the eyes of the Lord God. And God wanted to save that one man together with his household from the flood, from his outpouring of anger over the whole earth in the waters of the flood. And a congregation, let's not think that Noah was any better in himself than all the other people on earth at the time. Noah and his wife had to confess what we confess in the form for baptism which is read at every baptism here. We and our children are conceived and born in sin. Moses too. Conceived and born in sin, sinful by nature yet too, and his family. And that's why after the flood, the Bible shows us very realistically Noah falling back into sin, lying drunk and naked in his tent. The flood was not able to deal with sin once and for all. Another great rescue operation, a greater rescue operation was needed for that. But the thing is that Noah walked with God. He did walk with God. God set his heart on him and he walked with God. He knew his sinfulness. He asked for forgiveness for those sins and he wanted to serve the Lord. He took living with the Lord seriously. God could have wiped out Noah and his family along with all the others, but because Noah did entrust himself to God and his grace, God didn't do that. Saved Noah and his family in the flood. So in the great flood, we see God's righteous wrath is devastating. We also see God's grace is awesome. And grace means that God holds his righteous anger in. means he doesn't punish in uncontrolled anger. He remains just and, and merciful in his anger too. And so he doesn't let people who look to him perish when he brings his wrath to bear. And when the waters gush over the whole earth, God closed the door of the ark and he lets it and the people and animals in it float on the surface of that devastating flood. So God's wrath is tremendous, but his grace is even more awesome. And that grace brings us to what Peter says about baptism with water in our text. Peter brings up the whole topic of baptism 
in connection with the flood. And you'll notice that every time a baptism takes place here, that's also included in the prayer before the baptism. That whole event of the flood. Peter calls baptism the antitype of the flood. Baptism is the antitype which now saves us. Not the type, not a type of the flood, but the antitype. And that's a very special term here. An antitype means a mirror image. A backwards picture. I can maybe illustrate that, what that means with something I did when I was at, way back in elementary school. One day in art class, we were all given half a potato. And then with a small knife, we, we had to cut a little picture out on the flat side of that potato and make a, a stamp out of it. And that meant you had to cut away what you didn't want to press on the paper, what you didn't want on the picture. And you left what you did want to make a picture of, an impression from. And after you cut, uh, cut with the knife, then you had to push that half a potato on an ink pad. And then you press it on a sheet of paper. And then you got an image, a mirror image of what you had carved on the potato. If, for instance, you carved a house on the potato with a door on the left side, the image of the house you got after pressing on ink and then paper would have the door on the right side. The impression on the paper is the antitype of what's on the potato. Antitype. And if you can understand something of that, then you understand the connection Peter sees between the great flood and those few drops of water here at a baptism and at your baptism in both cases yes it's about water but baptism is the antitype the mirror image of the flood the huge flood of water in Noah's days was destructive all the wicked perished only eight souls saved however the few drops of water at baptism are redemptive Saving. The little picture of baptism is the antitype of the great flood. Those few drops of water at baptism are the antitype of the water that covered the whole earth. The one destructive, the other saving. So what does the water of our baptism then tell us? Well, it tells us that the God whose wrath against sin is so great that he destroyed the ancient world and its wicked people with the flood, that his wrath is so great that he could not leave it unpunished, but has punished it in his beloved son, Jesus Christ. That God is a saving God, incredibly saving God. Like he saved Noah and his household, those few souls in the ark from the waters of the flood. That judgment of his in the beginning. So he now saves us and our children in Christ from the outpouring of his wrath which is coming over the world and one day will come to fullness on the day of judgment. The final outpouring of God's wrath against all sin and wickedness will be, will be terrifying. People who didn't believe in him will cry out for the hills to cover them and the mountains to fall on them. 
But what an incredible wonder God's grace in Christ is then. He tells us with that water of baptism, he wants to save us from that outpouring of his wrath. He wants to save you from the destruction which is coming over this whole world because of our sins. He doesn't want you to fall in that pit in which the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. Into eternal hell. He wants to save you and your children in Christ as he saved Noah and his family in the ark. That's what the water of baptism assures us of. And so we can and we need to choose between judgment and salvation, congregation. The water of baptism calls you to choose and find safety in Jesus from the coming wrath. In Jesus who suffered and was put to death so that he might bring us to God. And that brings us to the second part of, of the sermon. The water of baptism also brings to prayer for cleansing then. The passage we have as text this morning, congregation, is, is actually about baptism. And Peter tells us more about baptism here. He tells us what, what baptism doesn't do and what it does do, if you look carefully at the text. It doesn't do this, but it does do that. Baptism does not remove the, the filth of the flesh, he says. That's what it doesn't do. But it does have something to do with a good conscience toward God. So what does he move, mean with, those, with that does and doesn't do of, of baptism? To begin with, Peter's remark that baptism doesn't remove the filth of the flesh. The apostle isn't talking here about removal of dirt from the body. What he means here is that baptism doesn't remove all the filth of sin from your nature. Baptism doesn't totally cleanse your sinful nature. doesn't get rid of your sinful nature completely. Don't forget, most of the Christians Peter was writing to had been baptized as adults. Came to profession of their faith in Christ later on in life. Well, says Peter, don't think that now that you've baptized, that your baptism signifies that all the sin has now been washed away from your heart. No, after baptism, you still have that sinful nature that you have to struggle with every day. You might think, I've been baptized, so sin isn't a problem for me anymore. No. You still have that sinful nature you were born with. Baptism doesn't cleanse that away. That's not what baptism does. So that's what baptism doesn't do. But then Peter tells us in the text what baptism does do. Baptism does make it so that you can have a good conscience toward God. Now the King James Version here has here that baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Interestingly, the word translated as answer in the New King James can also be translated as 
question or request. And that's actually what the, the word meant at the time Peter wrote this first letter. And that's why other translations such as the English Standard Version and the New American Standard Version have here an appeal for a good conscience towards God. An appeal for a good conscience towards God. A request for a good conscience. And I believe that's what Peter meant here. Baptism brings you to ask God to forgive your remaining sins and is an appeal for a good conscience before God then. Baptism means that you appeal for a good conscience before God and you need to keep doing that throughout your life. Use your baptism throughout your life. Now, baptism means that you've been adopted by God in Christ, but you're still a sinner then. Baptism promises the washing away of your sins, but it doesn't do away with your sinful nature. However, as child of God, you want to more and more overcome that sinful nature, don't you? Because those sins bother your conscience every time again. Your conscience before God. Well, on the basis of your baptism, you can not only pray for washing away of your sins with the blood of Christ, you can also pray for the Spirit of Christ to cleanse your heart every time again. So that you can overcome the sinful inclinations of your heart more and more. And more and more have that good conscience toward God every time again. And then you're no slave to the sinful nature anymore. But you can fight against it. Because our hearts are wellsprings of sinful thoughts and desires. But then you can pray, Lord Please free me from these sinful thoughts and desires. Let your spirit work in me a pure heart, a clean conscience, uncontaminated thoughts and desires. I know I can ask this because you promised that that cleansing of my mind and heart and soul with the water of baptism. I can ask that time and again because Christ has obtained this too by his Resurrection, which is mentioned also in that passage. See how incredibly, wonderfully rich your baptism is. That baptism with those few drops of water. Wasn't a flood, just a few drops. The antitype of the flood. Your baptism tells you you can count on the heart-cleansing help of the Spirit of Christ when you battle your remaining sinful thoughts and desires so you can keep a good conscience toward God. And it is a battle. That is a battle for every believer, isn't it? You've experienced that, haven't you? That you need to continually cleanse your mind and heart of those sinful thoughts and desires. You've experienced that, haven't you, as a believer? Well, think of the saving, cleansing water of your baptism then. That water washes away those those sinful thoughts too, that it represents the blood of Christ, which cleanses you, cleanses your heart. The Spirit of Christ cleanses you 
tells you that you need cleansing from the sin that remains in your heart and mind. And that that cleansing is yours for the asking. Yes, the cleansing away of your guilt, but also the cleansing of your heart. Your baptism says to you, go ahead. Ask for the Spirit to renew your heart and mind and give you a good conscience before God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Psalm 51. A mature believer will pray that for for himself or herself. And baptized children are to be taught to pray that too. Believing parents will teach them to pray that so that their baptized children will, on the basis of what was promised them with the water of their baptism, not just ask for the removal of their sins, but also for the rebirth that is promised, the cleansing of their hearts and minds. And we can count on that mighty work of Christ's Spirit in our hearts then too, because we now come to the last part of the sermon. The water of baptism means that Christ's power also helps you. Sin, and that means then also the sin that lives in us yet has enormous power. Congregation. You know that from experience, don't you? From fighting it in your hearts and minds and lives. A believer's desire is to get rid of that. To overcome it more and more. What lives in them so they have a completely clear conscience before God. That's your desire, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Is it your wish that you don't have to deal with sinful thoughts and desires anymore, but that your conscience can always be clear before God? What a, what a beautiful way to live. If you didn't have to do that fighting all the time, or less and less of it anyway, because we'll never be completely cleared of our sinful nature in this life. That's what you want, isn't it? Or are there things which you enjoy too much to stop thinking about them or doing them? Things you secretly want to hold on to in your heart and think, well, maybe God won't know about them either. Things that sear your conscience shut. You know what's wrong? You don't want to deal with it. You don't want to pray about it. For instance, you're, just for example, you're drawn to sites on the internet which you know are unchaste, pornographic, sinful. But you don't actually pray about that because you know that if you do, you just can't go there again because then your prayer would be hypocritical. And you wouldn't have a good conscience. So you have to make a choice then. Yes, a prayer for a good conscience looks so easy, but it's not. If you think about it, it means praying against your deepest personal desires. You need to pray for a change, maybe with wrong sexual desires, alcohol abuse, how you handle your money, how you deal with people who upset you, make you angry, your wrong relationship with someone. But you see, then you need to make a choice. 
You don't have a good conscience before God with what you're thinking or doing. You were baptized and you realize you should pray for the cleansing with Christ's spirit. But that means you'll have to break with whatever is sinful too. Those sinful thoughts, desires, and activities. And that's not easy, especially in today's world in which we're surrounded by so many for whom those kinds of things are no problem at all. How, how can you overcome those thoughts and desires more and more because the pull is so strong? Sin is so powerful. The sin that lives in us yet. It wants to take us over. Well, notice how Peter concludes our text in verse 22. He points to Christ's power. He says there, who has gone, he mentions first of all in the end of verse 21, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he says, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And what Peter is saying there is, don't think you can overcome the sinful desires of your heart in your own strength. In fact, that's what your baptism is telling you. No, if you end up with things which bother your conscience, sinful desires which you can't overcome, which keep hanging in there, hang on to you, think of then you have to make that choice and you have to think of your exalted Savior's incredible power. If all the authorities and powers, all evil influences are subject to him, angels, devils, if they're all subject to him, would he then not be able to overcome the sinful desires which are pulling at your heart? All your fears and addictions and habits, sinful habits, And are you not baptized into him with his blood and spirit? Think about that, brothers and sisters. On the basis of your baptism, then go to him. Honestly tell him about your struggles and your powerlessness and how your sinful desires don't want you to quit thinking and doing what is wrong. Confess then his great power. Ask him to send his spirit into your hearts to give you a clear conscience he is mighty to do that see someone who's been baptized with water doesn't have to live out of his or her own strength that's a beautiful thing can live out of the power of Jesus Christ who overcame death and has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God who reigns over all things The strength of his spirit is for you. That's what the water of baptism tells you. It tells you you don't have to go under with the final judgment. It tells you you don't have to fall every time for your sins. It tells us that God has called us to live out of his grace and strength in Christ. So let's make it our aim to do that then. Baptism tells us we can. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, how 
just, incredibly just and righteous, but at the same time, how wonderfully merciful you are. You cleansed this whole world with water long ago and you saved Noah and his family in the ark. You also gave baptism to show us that you're still a saving God for us today in Christ. And that through his power, we can more and more have a good conscience before you. Even as this world is moving toward the final judgment day, help us daily to use the, our baptism and seek not only the forgiveness of our sins, but also the strength to overcome our sinful nature as you promised us in Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.